Welcome to the Expository Word Podcast, where we are listening to classic messages from Kimber Kaufman. Today we are continuing in a series from the book of Joshua. We trust you will enjoy today's message. Let's listen now to Kimber. Good, good job. Who can remember? Let's go to application point number one. Let's go to that. Or number seven, number seven. Yeah, that's right. You got it. You got it. That's it. Remembering the great things that God has done for you is crucial aspect to living by faith. In fact, really, you cannot live a life of faith, and without faith, it's impossible to please God. You cannot live a life of faith without remembering, without remembering. And we've covered several things about this remembering. One is this, go to the next one. Not remembering is reprehensible unbelief. Okay. Remember what it says right here in the front of our community table, this do in remembrance of me. Okay, let's go to the next one. Soon forgetting the great acts of God is the norm for God's people. The disciples forgot that Jesus could make bread and do miracles. Uh, P- Peter says, I'm going to insist that you get this over and over. And again and again, there's an emphasis. And of course, we saw in the Exodus that the people three days after God did great things, the people could no longer remember. All right? So, as, as he told the story, they came back, go back to the map, guys, with me. As he told the story... We come back, Israel is camped here at Shidem. They come across, it's just a few mile journey, and they camp for three days along the Jordan River. And the reason is, and I think Dan may have pointed this out, I can't remember, the Jordan is at flood stage. God wanted them to hear the rushing water, for them to be afraid of the giants that were in the land on this side, and for the people of Israel to say, what are we going to do? What are we going to do? And then that river backs up 19 miles. It was a powerful thing, and God... It, they cross on dry ground, and then God says, and a big part of this, put up stones so you don't forget. We talked about when we have baptismal services, how the kids are all looking, they want to come up and dip their hands in the water. What's going on? What's this about? Well, we need to tell them about the great act that God did, that Christ died for our sins so that we could be forgiven and a changed life. When we have communion service, we need to be telling our kids, this is a special memory service to remember what Jesus Christ has done for us. Okay? Now, with my voice going fast, and it lost, I lost it sometime during second service. I started losing it anyway. With my voice going fast, and with that, basically, if you weren't here this morning, you may miss out because we, didn't, we covered all of the verses and told the story. But we covered chapters 3 and 4. Let's apply the rest of the chapter. Let's go to application point number 1. Okay? Application number 1. The living God loves to dwell with, lead, and fight for His people. Hey, everybody, look with me at something. Just follow along. And if you like to mark in your Bibles, follow along with me. Look at verse 3 of chapter 3. Giving orders to the people when you see the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord your God. See that Ark of the Covenant? Now go down to verse 4. But keep a distance of about a thousand yards between you and the Ark. Don't go near it. Verse 6. Take up the Ark of the Covenant and pass ahead of the people. Verse 8. Tell the priest to carry the Ark of the Covenant. Verse 11. See the Ark of the Covenant. Verse 13, as soon as the priests who carry the Ark of the Covenant. Verse 14, as the priests were carrying the Ark of the Covenant. Verse 15, yet as soon as the priests who carried the Ark reached the Jordan. Verse 17, the priests who carried the Ark of the Covenant. Now you get the point? This writer is just, is, is just being dominant with the Ark of the Covenant. It's central to everything and it represents the presence of God. And something that you see is here is a God who loves to be with his people. 
Remember, this is the same God that said in Joshua chapter 1, I will never leave you nor forsake you. And the thing, though, sometimes that we may forget in our Christian life is we don't have a God that is in neutral that we have to keep placating to keep him happy to be with us. He is a God that has a covenant commitment to us. He said, I will be your God and you shall be my people. And he doesn't take that. He takes it much more seriously than we take our part. And he's a God that loves to dwell with and lead and fight his people. Now, this, this really amazes me. You stop and think about this point. And stop and think about the God of the Bible. He loves to be with his people. Now, remember the tabernacle in the wilderness. Remember the Shekinah glory by day. Remember the, the fiery pillar by night. And stop and think about what it says in John chapter 1 when Jesus Christ came. It actually says, he pitched his tent among us. He tabernacled among us in John chapter 1 verse 14. The word became flesh and he tabernacled among us. There is something about God, the triune God, that loves to be with his people. He loves to lead them. He loves to dwell with them. He loves to fight for his people. He loves to encourage his people. He doesn't even have to. He doesn't, he doesn't owe us anything. But he says in this chapter, I want you to camp by that Jordan for three days. And I'm going to tell you, I'm going before you. Guess what's the, guess who steps foot in the Jordan so that the Jordan backs up? God. That's the Ark of the Covenant. I do. And guess who's going to be the first one over, you know, and, and the first one to cross the Jordan? Me. I'm there with you. And then watch what happens when I come back out of the Jordan. It's sealed. And what, a, by the way, what a day of doom it was. The day those waters rolled back behind those priests' feet when they stepped out. Because God was saying, this is my land for my people at this time. So he's a God that loves to be with his people, loves to lead his people, loves to fight for his people. Sometimes, as fundamentalists, or some of us come out of fundamentalist backgrounds, we've got this idea that he's against us and trying to stop us all the time. No, he's a God that's for us. He's a God that wants us to have victory. It's, it's central to everything that the presence of God will be there. Now, stop and think about what it says in the New Testament. That your body is the temple of the living God. And that he dwells within you. And all the same promises, he'll never leave you nor forsake you. So it's exciting to stop and think that God loves to be with his people, all right? Application point number two, I guess I sort of covered it this morning, but look at two verses. Look at chapter three and verse nine. Look what it says, chapter three and verse nine first. Joshua, this is the night before they're going to cross the Jordan. Joshua said to the Israelites, come here and listen to the words of the Lord your God. Now, look at here's the leader. He has been given direct revelation He's going to speak the very words of God to his people. Many of them may be scared. They're getting ready to camp, put everything they own on their backs and cross a raging river and go into a land where there's giants. And look what God has. Here's the message. You talk, look at this God. Look what he says. Verse 10, here's the message. This is how you will know that the living God is among you and that he will certainly drive out before you the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Hivites, the Perizzites, the Girgashites, the Amorites, the Jebusites. See, the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord of all the earth, will go into the Jordan ahead of you. Now, I don't know how this message got passed on to all those people. I'm not exactly sure how they did that. I know they didn't have radio. I didn't know they didn't have a big broadcast system. But Joshua gathered the leaders. The leaders took this back to the people. And there was the, the, the millions of people there, the couple of millions of people were, were a buzz. Guess what Joshua said? You, we are going to see something tomorrow that's going to be great. I will bet those of these people that, that, that had faith, this is the generation that had faith. They weren't the ones that died in the wilderness. This is the generation that had faith. I will bet those people that loved God and were zealous for his glory had a hard time going to sleep that night. Because they would have said, what's God going to do? I don't know, but it's going to be exciting. And the kids are going, what, Mommy? What, Daddy? What would you say about Yahweh? Well, wait till you see what he's going to do. Wait tomorrow morning. It's going to be a great day. And they had to be exciting. 
Now, see that? Wait till you see what he do. Now, look at the final conclusion. Look at verse chapter 4 and verse 24. You see it up here. Look what it says. <clears throat> Actually, go to verse 23. It says, when your kids ask, why are this memorial here? Why, why do you have this memorial? Tell them, well, we crossed the Jordan on dry ground at flood stage. Verse 23. For the Lord your God dried up the Jordan before you until you had crossed over. The Lord your God did to the Jordan just what he had done to the Red Sea when he dried it up before us until we had crossed over. He did this so that all the peoples of the earth might know that the hand of the Lord is powerful and that you might always fear the Lord your God. I love that point, and I brought it out this morning. But God is going to destroy the ites. God is going to show the people that they're going to have victory, and he's going to do it by backing that Jordan River up just as they crossed the Red Sea. This is going to be one of those major days of redemption in Israel, a day to remember, a day to mark down, make monuments out of, and to tell your kids, look, here's what God did when we came into the land. Now, you know what this tells us is that the, the, the nations need to know that God is powerful, and you need to leave here this morning and tonight going, wow, the God of the Bible, the God that I serve, whose son's name is Jesus Christ, is a God who can make a river back up so his promises are true. He can make us cross the, he can make the Red Sea back up. He can feed us manna. And any more than that, he can take his son, Jesus Christ, and raise him from the dead and conquer death. He can do those things. And we need to be taken back and say, God is powerful. God is great. God is mighty. And friends, as a result of that, look at the last part of verse 24. It also means this, so that you might always fear the Lord your God. You know what? We don't fear God like we should. One of the reasons we don't fear God like we should is we don't have an understanding of how great and powerful that he is. Well, you stop and think, here's a God that is so true to his promises, he can do those kinds of things. It would make us marvel. Okay. Application three. Yahweh delights to show his might and power in the face of our utter helplessness. Huh. Look at verses 14 through 17. Look what it says of chapter three. So when the people broke camp to cross the Jordan, the priest carrying the Ark of the Covenant went ahead of them. Now the Jordan is at flood stage all during harvest. Yet as soon as the priest who carried the ark reached the Jordan and their feet touched the water's edge, the water from upstream stopped flowing. It piled in a great heap. Well, all right, there, there is a reason why God had them camp for three days by a raging Jordan. And that is he loves to show his mind and power in the face of our utter helplessness. Do you remember what it says a few years later? There was a man named Gideon that came on the scene. Anybody remember him? And when, guess what happens when Gideon comes on the scene? It says, the Lord said to Gideon, you have too many men for me to deliver Midian into their hands in order that Israel may not boast against me that her own strength has saved her. Announce now to the people, anyone who trembles with fear may turn back and leave Mount Gilead. So 22,000 men left. You remember what they got it down to? 300. There is something about God and his great deliverance in our lives. He wants us to see that he is almighty and all-powerful. And he puts us up in situations so that we sit there and think, what are we going to do about the giants? How are we going to get across the river? How am I going to get my kids across the river and my oxen and, and all my valuables? How are we going to pack? We can't get across that. Look at this raging river. No problem, God says. Look, at this is just the first fruits. All those ites are going to be gone because I am with you. And just watch. Here's the sign. And he does this to encourage his people, and he does it because he delights to save. Do you know what the Old Testament is about? The Old Testament is pointing to the coming Messiah, but the Old Testament is about the ingenious, the incredible, the marvelous, the absolute stupendous ways in which God saves his people. He just does it from all different ways. 
No matter how bad they screw up, no matter how bad you mess up, no matter how, how, how stupid or rotten or vile you've been, the Almighty God will deliver His people and his, because His promises are true. Now that's something to rejoice in. Look at this fourth point. This is what we'll call God's logic of faith. And it goes like this. If God can do this, he can certainly do that. Now look again at verse 10. This is the speech that Joshua gave. Look what it says. Chapter 3, verse 10. This is how you will know that the living God is among you. Now what's about to happen? (laughs) All these people are about to see the Jordan River back up so they can cross on dry ground. Well, listen to this. Ralph Davis says this. The narrative also underscores the assurance of Yahweh's power. Before the crossing, Joshua had predicted, by this you will know the living God is among you, and he will certainly drive out all those nations. There is a certain logic behind this assurance. Now listen. If Yahweh can tame a raging river, he can also repel attacking Amorites. If he can stop the Jordan, he can put down the Girgashite. If he can get you into the land, he can surely give you the land. Now watch, because this isn't the only place you get this kind of logic. Look at this next statement. Paul uses the same theologic in Romans 8.32. And he says this, If God did not hold back, but gave up his own son for us, if he went that far, can we not then rest assured that he will grant all other provisions required for our full salvation? Now friends, stop and rejoice in that. Because it was the lack of this kind of reasoning that got the people that were delivered out of Pharaoh's Egypt in trouble. Because they didn't say, Hey, if God can send ten plagues, and if God can send us across the Red Sea, then, then... Hey, I guess he can take care of us even though we're hungry out here in the desert. Now, friends, do you want to know something? This is so important because many of us make some very bad mistakes. And that is, you remember the old song, I don't even know, but looking for love in all the wrong places? Okay, you remember that song? I don't even, it's a country western song, I guess. I don't even know how it goes, all right? I'm so godly, I wouldn't even know how it goes, all right? But, but listen, <laughs> looking for love in all the wrong places, listen to this. Now, now listen carefully. How about Christians doing that? Here's how you look for God's love in all the wrong places. When you look at your circumstances and you say, I didn't get the promotion. I'm still physically in bad health. I I don't have the family that I thought I was going to have. I don't have the kids that I thought I was going to have. I don't have the marriage I thought I was going to have. I don't have the life that I thought I was going to have. And you start looking to circumstances, to success, or to the amount of dollars in your pocket to determine the love of God. You should not do that. You need to look to Calvary. That's the only place you need to look. Because look what the text says. If God did not hold back but gave up his own son, if he went that far, then can we not be assured that he's for us? I mean, if there would be a God that would send his only begotten son to take the wrath and the curse for us, then then can't we trust him that if he gave his own son for us, he's certainly going to give us what's best? And yet so many Christians go through life so unhappy, all the time upset because they're going, well, I don't know if God loves me. Wait a minute. When's the last time you took communion? When's the last time that you were at a baptismal service? When's the last time you looked to the real voice of God speaking about the great love at Calvary? Or has Satan duped you into making that to be some foggy experience off somewhere that doesn't really count? Because that is the place we look for the love of God. These people were to look at the Jordan River. And when they were fighting the Girgashites the next time, or they were going up against Jericho, they were going up against some of these bad guys, you know what they're supposed to say? Wait a minute, guys, before we go to battle, let's just, let's just take a look back at Gilgal. I think if you look back at Gilgal, you'll see a little monument with 12 stones there. Wasn't there a raging river that went backwards 19 miles? Hey, God's going to deliver us now. And that's what we do. We go and we look back again to the love of Jesus Christ, the cross of Jesus Christ. And we say, look, I am assured now and know for sure God loves me. That's the, that's the stake in which I drive my faith right there into Calvary. 
Ralph Davis goes on to say this, listen, you will know that the living God is among you. The object of this text then is to impress us with the adequacy of God, to grill into us that God is not merely a three-letter word for our Christian jargon, not merely the honorary leader of our club, but is the living God who works and intervenes and comes and saves and rescues and counsels his people in all their perplexities. He is indeed the Lord of all the earth, not a mere little league deity. So we must renounce our tendency to purify God, to carve him down to our statue and limit him to our possibilities. He is the almighty God. That's the logic of faith. Do you see that? And guess what God does? You know, stop and think about this. Stop and think of this. God, these are his people. And he says, now, Joshua, give them this message the night before they cross the Jordan. You're going to know for sure that you're going to win. I, I love that. Because he has done that for us with Jesus Christ. And he loves, he's a God who loves to, co- you know, you ever think of God as the great, I don't mean to be, I need to be careful here, but you ever think of him as the great coach? The great encourager? The great, the great affirmer? The God that says, look guys, you don't have to worry, watch what's going to happen to the Jordan, ha! And, the, and later on, I love it, as we said this morning, the psalmist actually goes, what happened to old mountains? Are you scared? I mean, look at the mountains. Here's a big, mighty mountain. It takes guys years to try to climb to the top and figure out how to do it. And they, what, you're skipping around, you're jumping around, you're scared? The voice of God? See? I love, we think of the great and power of God, okay? I hope you got that point. I, I, I hope you did. Okay. I got it. I don't know if you got it. You didn't look like you got it. Okay. Point number five. Now, I like this so much. This is so good. Watch this. God wants some of his people to see his mighty power. Look at verses three and four. Look down to verses three and four of chapter three. Giving orders to the people, when you see the Ark of the Covenant, the Lord your God and the priest who are Levites carrying it, you are to move out from your positions and follow it. Then you will know which way to go since you have never been this way. But keep a distance of about a thousand yards between you and the ark. And as Dan rightly remembered, that was six-tenths of a mile. And not only, not only because God is holy, and this is the same ark that later a guy reaches out and touches and gets struck dead. So it's not just, though, that he's holy. It's because God wanted the people to see what was going to happen. Get back to so as many people as possible looking down into the Jordan River Valley at six-tenths of a mile. Hundreds and thousands of people could see this. But watch this, everybody. Look what, look what this says. God wants some of his people to see his mighty power, 3 and 3 and 4, but most of them are to hear about it from others. Look at chapter 4 and verse 6. Build this, build this monument to serve as a sign among you in the future when your children ask you, what do these stones mean? Tell them that the flow of the Jordan was cut off before the ark of the Lord. Now go to chapter 4 and verse 21. Look what it says. He said to the Israelites, in the future, when your descendants ask their fathers, what do these stones mean? Tell them, Israel crossed the Jordan on dry ground. Now stop and think about it, friends. How many people saw the miracle versus how many people heard about the miracle? Many, many more people heard about the miracle than saw the miracle. And please listen. This is the kind of powerful deed that does not come along in everyone's lifetime even. It comes along very sporadically. Big, big deals. Like the crossing of the Red Sea, the Jordan, like... like um like the redemption of Jesus Christ. I'm talking about the big deeds of God to establish his promise and to keep them going. Not everyone's going to see it. I really believe when Jesus Christ says so emphatically, an evil generation seeketh after a sign, what was it that the Pharisees and the unbelievers were saying all the time? That says, give us a sign, prove who you are, show us who you are. And there is something here, listen friends, there is something so important to get. Now listen to your pastor carefully. Without faith, it's impossible to please him. For those that come to God must believe that he exists and that he's a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. Now think with me about this. Faith comes by hearing, hearing the word of God. 
When the spies went to Rahab's house, what did Rahab say? We have heard about your God. We have heard what he did to Sharon and what he did to Og and what he did to Egypt. We have heard, and I believe he is the Lord God of heaven and earth. That's what she says. Now get this. All she ever had was to hear. And she had to not just hear at the city gate because she wouldn't even been allowed to be at the city gate. She had to hear it in the marketplace or she had to hear it from the men who came to visit her for her occupation. I'm sorry to tell you about that. That's how she heard. Now, but now listen, everybody, listen to this. She heard and she believed. And yet at the same time that she heard and believed, for the last 40 years, while Israel was marching around, there were dead bodies strewn all over the desert. And guess why? They were Jewish people whose bodies were spread all over the desert, dead as doornails. And you know why? Because they didn't believe the promise and they were not allowed to go in. And guess what was in their bellies if you would have done an autopsy? Manna. And guess what was in their mouth if you would have checked them out? Water from a rock. And guess what was between their toes? Sand from the Red Sea. that had, When they walked across, it was still between their toes, so to speak, metaphorically. And I want you to see that you can see it. You can say all these miracles. Listen, you see a great miracle to say, I want to feel God so powerfully. I want to see this great thing. I know what you mean. I do too. But you have got to be satisfied to hear the truth and believe it. You've got to be satisfied. Because we hear the message and we believe, and that brings pleasure to the heart of God. And so we've got to hear the message. And that's why I just, I praise, I, I, I was giving someone a tour of the church recently and went up into the Sunday school rooms. And I saw all the, the extensive work that the Sunday school teachers have done in, in, this, in this new wing we built over here. All the in, in, ingenious ways you're telling the Bible stories, you're telling of the power of God. I'm, saying, I'm glad my kids go there. I'm glad that happens. You know why? Because it's the hearing of the scriptures. I can still remember as a little boy hearing about David and Goliath, my eyes bugging out. Tell me that again. Now, I don't think I got all the theological implications of it, and I was basically interested in the battle, okay? But there's great things that we need to get from that. And please don't remember, by the way, even the 12 stones, have you ever stopped and think about this? If there's 2 million people, out of the 2 million people, there's 12 tribes. So take, take 2 million divided by 12. Now you get 12 men. That, those are the ones that carry the rocks. Then they build this, they build this thing. Now, if there's 2 million people and you build it in Gilgal, and there, if, you were at, if you were at Woodstock, and there was a monument built someplace, what percentage of people would have seen the monument? Well, how many people even saw this monument? In other words, most people even heard about this monument. It's not that big. If 12 guys can carry stones, it's not that big a deal. And are you understanding my point here? This is important. That It is so important to get this. That is, even, even in the memorial, you had to hear about the memorial. And if it is the faith that comes from hearing and hearing from the Word of God that is important. All right, my last point. I'll stop torturing you. Watch this. One more. Here we go. Ready? Important lesson. Mark this down from chapter 3 and verse 8. First comes obedience. Then comes God's power. Look at verse 8. Look what it says of chapter 3. Tell the priests who carry the Ark of the Covenant, when you reach the edge of the Jordan's water, go and stand in the river. Okay. Now, if you look at chapter 4, verse 15, look what it says. Then the Lord said to Joshua... Command the priest carrying the Ark of the Testimony to come up out of the Jordan. So Joshua commanded the priest to come up out of the Jordan. Now the reason I show you this is everything about this passage says, the Lord says, Joshua says, the people do. Everything about this shows this lesson. It is so important. The writer emphasizes that obedience is prerequisite for God's blessing. Friends, 
This is so important. It has continued throughout Scripture. Why is it that Naaman the leper did not want to wash in the river? He was told to go wash, then he would be healed. These priests could have been saying, these Levites, gee, and I, I hope the Lord's with Joshua as he was with Moses. We're going to go stand in the raging river holding the Ark of the Covenant? That is not very good stewardship, Joshua. You know, Plus, it looks sort of foolish. You go stand, and then you'll see what God's going to do. Now, friends, I've got to tell you, I believe that my, in my own life, and I believe that many of you here hearing my voice, we have missed out on a lot of great things that God had for us. And you know why? Because the principle is still true. You obey, and then you'll see God's power. But you know what everybody wants? Everybody wants to see God's power, and then they'll obey. Can I tell you where I see this all the time? Here's a marriage that's in trouble. I don't love my spouse. Who cares? You're commanded to love her. Now do it out of obedience. And if you do it out of obedience, sheerly for the sake of Jesus Christ, he will heal your marriage. He will. But people are waiting around, no, she's going to move first. No, he's going to move first. And it is so important that we would see this. First comes obedience, then comes God's power. Go stand there, and then I'll take care of it. All right. We're going to sing and worship the Lord a little bit more. Dave's going to lead us in some more worship. And I, I hope maybe by uh, doing the message now, and you're done at 20 minutes, tell don't go going out the doors. You're not done now. We're going to sing some songs of praise, right, Dave? So Dave's going to get us rocking and rolling, all right? Get us rocking and rolling. That's a command from your pastor, all right? Good. Good. That concludes today's message from the Expository Word. Please join us again for more classic messages from Kimber Kaufman. Take care.